have you been? Uh, yeah, really good. I even enjoyed some of the international football, which is not something I expected to say. You what? Heresy. I know, yeah. Uh, England were really fun in that first game against Germany. What Wasn't it a strange uh, feeling to, to be watching England and quite enjoying it, and then uh, you got United really dull? There's something wrong with this picture. <laughs> there really is. Uh, but of course... Uh, there were big talking points which kind of directly relate to United's situation at the moment in that, um, and I don't mean this to have a pop at our captain, but England were certainly much more fluid and exciting up front and I think it would be a really terrible decision to start Rooney ahead of Harry Kane in the summer. Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose they could play Rooney in a slightly deeper role, but then you're starting him ahead of other players, you know. Uh, particularly Deli Ali, who Ferguson said was better than any young midfielder he'd seen since Paul Gascoigne, which people somehow managed to take as a slight on Paul Scholes, but I suspect Paul Scholes, having not been a midfielder at that age, might have played into that. Yeah, no, I think so. Uh, could have signed him, of course, you know. Uh, three years ago, he was at uh, Milton Keynes Dons, so uh, missed out there. Uh, looks a fine player, um, as do a number of the other young England players. So, yeah, it's, a, it's quite a strange experience to be watching England, and they're, they're quite exciting. Although they put it right at Wembley against Holland in what was not a great performance. No, that was a slightly odd one, wasn't it? It was uh, a kind of reversion to type, really. James Milner being the captain was perfectly emblematic of that performance, really. It was the kind of performance you would expect from a national team whose captain is James Milner. It really is, isn't it? Yeah, uh, one of the better Twitter handles is boring James Milner, who who gets James Milner to a T, or at least a caricature. Um, Anyway, enough of of England. Do we we need to talk more about England? No, but I was just going to say it was Holland um, had more United players than England, of course, in that game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Memphis was all right, not, not... not particularly scintillating performance, but didn't look too short of confidence uh, in spite of Van Hal's best efforts. Uh, and Daley Blind was really good in that game, a theme which we'll be returning to later in the show. I'm greatly looking forward to that. <laughs> yes, uh, Daley Blind, excellent against Everton, which I- I'm presuming you wanted to bring up. <laughs> yeah, I did. Should we talk about that Everton game then? A- every pattern has its anomalies. Oh, no, I'm, I'm absolutely not having that. I think you could say that his serious dip in form over the kind of preceding month was more of an anomaly than his performance against Everton. All right, I'll give you that for a... Well, no, I really won't. Anyway, yeah, Everton. Um, so, um, a slightly strange game. I say slightly strange game in that Van Hal came out afterwards and said United uh, stole the victory, which is very un-Van Hal-like. Normally, United really do steal the victory and he claims it was a perfect performance. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he said that performance was not fresh in the press conference after the game and he he was asked actually whether he thought that was one of United's better performances that was just the opening question in the press conference so I thought it was a bit strange because it very clearly wasn't one of United's better performances I'm not sure it was one of the Everton journalists that asked him that um because actually United were I, I mean I quite enjoyed the game I don't think they were terrible by any means but they've definitely been better under Van Hal. oh for sure yeah there haven't been that many Cases where United have been better at anything, really, under Van Hal. So I guess that's a small sample size. But look, it was just a, it was a really flat first half, um, just very typical of performances under Van Hal, uh, fresh or not fresh. Uh, frankly, just moved the ball uh, too slowly, and uh, although had more possession, um, yeah, not in the seventies, but uh, in the in the high fifties, um, weren't able to to capitalise and and uh, create real chances. So. Once again, United had no shots on target in the first half, or one shot on target in the first half. And um, no, no, no shots on target in the first half. Two overall, um, the, goal, the goal coming from the first shot United had on target. And it's just a, it's just a, a theme. The, the thing that was different, of course, is that with, um, with Rooney out the side, not having a go, um, United just have more movement up front. I mean, it's clear. Um, Lingard started, started in the centre again, Matter out on the, the right and Martial on the left. And... Um, but Rashford pulled right a lot and allowed uh, Matter to come inside, and it's just much more fluid. Still not creating the chances, though. No, Lingard also switched places with Matter pretty freely, and there was a lot of movement. And the one thing that I spotted, because it was a point that you'd made earlier in the season, was Schneiderlin was breaking in front of the ball quite a lot, which 
looked like a plan. You know, once he did, it, he went out to the right. Another time he did, it broke sort of to the edge of the box. And that was when Carrick was in possession. So that was nice to see. Well, he did it against City as well. So although he actually started from a more forward position against City, Van Hal seems to have given him a little bit more freedom, much closer to the role that he had at Southampton, where, of course, he was, uh, you know, the kind of all-action box-to-box type player-ish, sort of. Um, less of the pure water carrier as he has been at United, then, you know, you could say this formation is closer to a sort of 4-1-4-1 than the 4-3-2-1 the that we've seen a lot. Uh, yeah, maybe so. Um, I, Michael Carrick was absolutely abysmal in the first half of that game and, and United got a lot better when Herrera came on and everyone knows I'm a massive Herrera fanboy, but it wasn't even that Herrera was particularly good. It's just United really benefited from Michael Carrick not being there because um, he really looked like he was struggling. But at halftime, I have to say, I was uh, I was looking at that front four and thinking, I mean, talk of fanboy, I love Juan Mata, but I don't think I'd pick Juan Mata in that team because you're playing a certain way. And you just put Rashford on the right, put Martial in the middle and play Memphis on the left. And then you've got the whole team can do the running around bit rather than everyone except on the right-hand side, which creates that imbalance. But then, of course, the goal came because Juan Mata has the first touch of some sort of celestial being. So, yeah, you could you could see why he was in the side. It wasn't... His contribution to the goal wasn't his only uh, fine moment in the second half. No, I mean, if you're going to make that argument, then your argument is who's a better number 10, Lingard or, or Mata? I mean, it's not even close for me. Uh, Mata's going to create far more chances for the, the team every single time. Uh, Lingard's in the team because not only is he a bit more direct, but he's actually a much better defensive player in that role. So he'll sit on the opposing defensive midfielder and it causes them a lot of problems. That's exactly what he did against City, did it very well, um, but he doesn't cause a lot in a creative sense. I mean, I, I, I've mentioned this before when I, I talk about Lingard. He's he's much better off the ball than he, than he is on it and he's basically in the team because of his defensive discipline. Uh, yeah, and well, I think he's also in the team to put some speed in the middle of the park when you've got Schneidlin and Carrick because you have Schneidlin, Carrick and Mata it was all incredibly slow in terms of the physical movement of the players although of course Mata's got the capability of switching the play in terms of speeding up the the way the ball moves sometimes yeah but you could you could have that uh, if you brought Herrera into the side and play Mata at 10 so yeah absolutely um, and play exactly the same formation as they are now and and Memphis comes into the team but it's uh, you know you can just you could just speed up the movement of the ball and the players as well. So, um, I, I mean, Van Hal, we, we've talked about it a lot. I, I think he does revert to a a more cautious or a more conservative uh, outlook when it comes to picking certain players quite often. And and this is one of them. And he's doing it because it, it, it does help United tactically. Yeah, and, and that is having results because we've played three games with Lingard at number 10 in a row and we haven't lost any of them and we won two of them. Yes, but we've also scored one goal in each of the last two games and not created very many chances. In uh, each of the last three, in fact. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so um, if you look at the... Uh, expected xg against i'm quite sure it will be higher than is the actual case although uh, i'm quite sure yeah we had we did have better xgs than everton yesterday uh, i think it was a 1.3 to 0.7 so not a lot in it but um part of the reason that we did was because daily Blint was absolutely excellent again as he was against city it he really um lukaku seemed to be trying to target him but he just had the outwitting of Lukaku every time. He just put himself in exactly the right place, took the ball off him over and over again and uh, gave Lukaku a very, very little um, rope to hang himself with. Yeah, so uh, what Daily Blint is great at, obviously distribution of the ball, but he's a very good reader of the game. Very good reader of the game. When he gets himself slightly out of position, he's just screwed. Uh, and he does that quite a bit. He was He was almost perfect against Lukaku. He had a great game. Um, you know, kudos to him. Uh, I don't think it would change my assessment of him as a player and whether United, uh, a club that should be chasing the European Cup, should have him in central defence. But he was great against Everton. I think uh, the, I mean, great against Everton kind of somewhat undersells it, doesn't it? Because Lukaku is a an excellent striker. Um, so that is like one of the areas where Everton 
have a, a claim at actual footballing excellence, right? Yeah, although I thought I thought Everton played into United's hands because they went too direct too quickly, which is unusual for Martinez's side. But I, th- I think they were just not very patient. Um, and uh, and they just went straight up to him all the time. And I don't think that helped Lukaku because he's just in a fight then um, and it's not really playing. Uh, how many balls did Everton play uh, either into the channels or, or between in the spaces between the centre-backs? I mean, almost none. And that was when they looked dangerous was the, the few times they did do that. Um, it was interesting, actually, because Martinez was sort of... I mean, I guess he's under so much pressure, it's understandable, but he was quite bullish about the way they'd played and the kind of, the not the chances they'd created, but the near chances they'd created, the kind of one-on-one opportunities they'd created where something could have come from them. But I think you're right. I think I think he's doing himself a little too much credit there, his team a little too much credit, because it, it looked like it was a plan to try and exploit United's defensive vulnerability, but it was just a day when United didn't really have that much defensive vulnerability. Yeah, except for on the left-hand side where Marcus Rojo had another <laughs> shocker. I mean, I, I have to say it's, it's becoming quite funny that Van Hal has to substitute uh, a fullback every single game <laughs> and, and not only substitute, but turn one change into two by flipping the fullbacks around. But on this occasion, Rojo deserved to get hooked and uh, and Fosu Mensah had a, an excellent second half as well so um yeah with the assist as well so um it's paid off for Van Gaal but it it is becoming a cliche isn't it well yeah I mean because he he made three fullback changes in the game because first of all there was that sub with Damian going to left back but then when he took Blint off for Valencia he put Valencia at right back and Fosu Mensa in the middle so you know full complement of every every possible change made because he just loves it but yeah, Foster Mensa was superb. Uh, it, Van Hal described Rocco's jet lagged uh, after the game, and uh, one of the journalists picked him up on that, sort of saying, "Well, wait a minute, when did he come back?" And Van Gaal sort of thought about it and started to say Wednesday, and the press officer said Thursday, and he said, "Oh, it was Thursday." But I knew in advance that Rocco would would play like this. I knew that in advance. Why play him? So if you knew that in advance, why did you play? Very, very odd, yeah. Um, Cameron Bothwick-Jackson in action for the under-21s as we record. Um, so he'll be a welcome return to the squad, I'd say. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Damian, Damian was all right, though, uh, defensively. Did a couple of nice bits of, you know, Damianing. <laughs> Damian. Yeah, he was he was OK, yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's the centre-backs that, that were excellent. Smalling and, and Blint barely gave Everton a chance, which was good, really, because United didn't create too many themselves. <laughs> no, absolutely they didn't. Uh, the second half was a lot more lively with Foster Mensah on the right. Um, and that goal was just beautiful. The build-up to the goal, everything about it, the ball from Schneidlin, touch from Mata, the layback, the the really fine improvisation in the back heel from Rashford and Fossi Mensa's delivery and then Anthony Martial clearly still terrifying Seamus Coleman from the last time they met yeah someone said on Twitter that Coleman probably sleeps with the lights on after that last time I mean um, he's a very good player Seamus Coleman but Martial's just made a fool of him again um, as he does to so many right backs uh, it, it's um in a way, you can you can see why uh, Van Hal is is playing the system that he is. At least he, you know playing Rashford up front and Martial on the left because he's trying to cram these two very exciting players into the side. In a way, it's a shame that Martial doesn't get more of an opportunity to 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 be in a much more uh, direct and dangerous position on the pitch because he'd be getting into more of those uh, positions if he wasn't doing any defensive work and he does a lot of defensive He's work just absolutely outstanding. He's got a proper chant now, which is nice. I'm glad about that. It's got words and everything, so th- this is a this is a very positive step having having been reduced to the Seven Nation Army chant which was just wasn't good enough for Martial, so that was nice. It was 10 minutes of that from the Stretford end after after his goal. 13 goals this season, so he's uh, hot on Rooney's heels. Who will be top scorer uh, by the end of the season? Let's let's hope it's Anthony. He deserves it. <laughs> um, I don't mind who it is, really. But uh, where, did, where does... Has Rooney got goals in? I was looking this up earlier, and he's outscored him in Europe and the league, Martial has, but I guess Rooney's got goals in the Cups, maybe. So Rooney has only got three goals. I know this because I, I did a piece uh, a week or so ago. Only got three goals against any team in the top half of the Premier League. Uh, he's got a lot of goals against uh, very mediocre opposition. So he scored against Ipswich and Sunderland and those three against Club Bruges and Derby. 
um, and a whole bunch against uh, uh, the bottom half of the Premier League. Yeah, I've just twigged that that's why the stats I looked at were didn't look good for Rooney because they didn't have that Club Bruges game included in the Champions League games, which I don't know why they did that. But anyway, um, yeah, but Martial's 13 goals, not a bad return considering he spent most of the season at left wing. Um, but I don't know that he's that much less dangerous at left wing. You can't, it's not like you think, well, if he'd played centrally and someone else had played on the left yesterday, United would have necessarily created more chances or, or even that he would have taken chances that someone else didn't. No, but it's uh, he's just so dangerous there um, that he's going to score a lot of goals. You know, just that little bit of composure he sometimes lacks. Um, and sometimes he's just beautifully composed. It's just that little inconsistency once he gets that right, which he will. Um, he's he's going to score a lot of goals, and and uh, and that's when you definitely want him in the most dangerous positions on the pitch. I, I guess you know we'll we'll come to an interesting point if and when Memphis finds his feet in England. If then um, then uh, there's a decision to be made. Um, at the moment, of course, Rashford's also playing very well. Looks like a, a very, very good number nine, doesn't he? He does. And it was really lovely that he was on the cover of the programme on merit on the day that the Sir Bobby Charlton stand was unveiled. There was a beautiful circularity of United past, present and future in that. Um, lots of lovely pomp and circumstance. A, a very nice moment. Van Hal saying he had tears in his eyes watching it, watching the ovation that Bobby Charlton got and the... Uh, Tifo looked great. That Stretford End flags get a load of stick, and I think a great amount of it is deserved. But they they always do a good job on on these kind of occasions. Uh, so it was it was nice. Indeed, yeah, it was a it was a really nice ceremony. Um, tear into Bobby's eyes. Oh, of course, I still don't forgive him for the time he bumped into me, literally bumped into me. And uh, and uh, I asked for an autograph, and he said no. I think he's got a bit of a reputation for saying no to autographs. I mean, it's very easy to kind of be really annoyed about that, but you just think at what point, when you've been in public life your whole life from being a teenager, at what point do you just think oh, I just can't be bothered with this anymore? So you make exceptions when you're not looking where you're going, <laughs> and you bump into a famous podcaster. <laughs> You never seen Bobby Charlton in a jazz club in Rio de Janeiro, have you? That that's very true. Yeah. I mean, the one one of the things that's nice about this is I guess for like younger fans, these kind of opportunities are are times when you learn the history of the club, right? Which has it has some merit knowing knowing all that stuff and and I think Bobby Charlton's kind of slightly standoffish public persona is really really understandable when you think about what happened to him like the level of trauma he sustained and the fact that he came back from that to win the world cup and the european cup and european footballer of the year which was what was basically world footballer of the year in those days um just absolutely extraordinary career and i guess he's he's honored not not for that so much as you know you you get these kind of honors for the administrative stuff don't you and he's been a director for a really long time which is of course also problematic at United because uh, that means you were part of a pretty bad regime yes yeah well um so so look uh, well deserved um a, a genuine legend in terms of the number of games he's played and the number of goals he scored um and you know I think the uh, the stuff about his personality or, or whether he's a very light person is irrelevant really so uh, it was a really nice ceremony and um and uh, a nice gesture of course we've talked about this before is it is it the sort of sign that says about time you retired sir bobby and um just ease him out the way as Mourinho comes into the club because uh rumor has it that sir bobby is the one of the most vocal when it comes to uh, being on the anti-Mourinho bandwagon. Is it really the Jose Mourinho stand? Is that what we're saying? This is the, the cost of doing business is the name of this stand. So who gets the... Uh, obviously, you can't rename the Stretford End, but who gets the uh, the K stand uh, first? Is it is it uh, Malcolm Glazer or Wayne Rooney? Well, the thing is, I reckon, in Rooney's next contract, he gets the word Paul put in before Stretford in really little letters, and he gets the K stand renamed the Kai stand. And that's why he's called all his kids... Names that begin with K, because he he wants that stand. How many kids has he got that begin uh, with K? 
three or four. Ooh, conspiracy. Yeah, it's a lot. In fact, um, a friend of the rank cast, Mary, says now that Sir Alex and Sir Bobby have stands inside Old Trafford named after them, do you think Sir Matt should have one? Should it should it be the Sir Matt Busby K stand? Maybe it should be the Sir Matt Bus- Busby Stadium brought to you by Mr Potato Chips. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Because, I mean, Sir Matt's got a road. That's pretty good. Sir Matt Busby Way is a big one. He's got the Pride of Place statue, hasn't he? His is like, you know, that's that's the one that surveys the forecourt. Fergie's is a bit out of the way, really. Um, surveys the car park. Wow, and and the uh, and the canal. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. Waterfront property there, Fergie's got. <laughs> um, but yeah, it does. There's something slightly. I kind of feel like the. But then, honestly, it's a bit feudal having three knights. The stands with three stands with Sir in them. If this was uh, if this was Rome, in the era of the emperor, emperors, they would they would be uh, they'd be bashing each other's statues down to put their own up. The Sir Malcolm Glazer stand is coming. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Ryan Giggs. Yeah, I wonder what he's going to get named after him. It's got to be something. But we are running out of stuff to name after people. And once you start. It gets really messy. Yeah, true. And I think we're running out of conversation. We're having a 10-minute segment on <laughs> statues. Yeah, should we do some should we do some Twitter questions? I think we should. All right. Um, I don't know if you... Do you watch The Walking Dead, Ed? Uh, I watched the first series and about two into the second, realised that every single episode is exactly the same and didn't watch it ever again. All right. Sorry, Johnny Bravo. We're not answering your question because I don't watch it either. At Big Shimmery Wall asking the important question says, where does the LVG Fosu Mensa fist bump rank in the season compared to the Lingard Rashford one? I mean, it can't touch the Lingard Rashford one, which is my favourite fist bump in history. But it, this is definitely the season of the fist bump. And it was nice to see. Uh, yeah, quite a few fist bumps and dabs and daps and other stuff um actually one thing i meant to mention how many back heels did marcus rashford do he'd obviously been on the training pitch practicing back heels there were about six of them there were and one of them led to the goal our friend Oata used to have a theory that this was the rene mullenstein effect when welbeck and cleverly were always trying to back heel it to each other it's like this is the, the mullenstein factor yep yep well, it's, it's the, the small-sided uh, games that he had going. So, yeah, and probably true, actually. But Rashford's now of the age where he would have been 14? No, 14, 15 when Moulinstein left. Um, so it's just a long time ago now, isn't it? So, you know, wonder how much of that would have had an impact. The good old days. <laughs> Maybe it's the, uh, what's, what was his name? Steve Round fact. <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm just going to I'm just going to go out there on a limb and say that no player ever in the history of football will ever say and the biggest influence on my career was Steve Round. At Miguel Gomez says, if Mourinho was our manager this season, do you think he would have won the league with the team given the current state of the Premier League? Uh, mm, yeah, I know. It's a interesting question that one. I've no idea how to say yes. Um, maybe, maybe not. I mean, it feels like there are too many weaknesses in this squad, but it's not worse than Leicester's squad, is it? No, it's not. Um, and this is just a very weird old season. It's reset the paradigm in the Premier League. We'll see if it resets itself back to what it's been for such a long time. But, you know, it's so open, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So earlier in the season, I think we said that there were really only two outliers in terms of the the statistical models, and that's Leicester and Chelsea. Um, Leicester significantly overperforming Chelsea under. I think Tottenham have overperformed uh, by a couple of places and United are about where most of the models said they would be, sort of fifth, fourth or fifth, around about there. So it's not that crazy, the season. There are a couple of really significant ones that are um, over and underperforming and that's that's made the, the whole Premier League look a bit weird. In the spirit of writing Leicester off, because, you know, that's what everyone does, right? Can we write them off for next season? Because they're not going to spend so much money that they have a, a huge squad. They've had a remarkable injuryless run. Uh, I think the, the worst number of games missed by any of their top six key players are two this season through injury um, and playing Champions League football is is really going to throw them out of sync. So can we write them off for next season? Sure. That's absolutely fine. I've got no problem with that. But they're seven points clear at the top of the actual real-life league. Uh, The actual one, not not some pretend one we're all just doing for fun. The real league, Leicester, on 
April the 4th, as we record this, are seven points clear at the top. Like, it could be overturned from here. We we know that, right? We were eight points clear at this time, however many seasons ago that was. Um, but it's unlikely. It's getting ever less likely, isn't it? They only need 12 more points. I mean, depending on the result next weekend, if United beat Spurs, Leicester could come to Old Trafford needing a guard of honour. It it's unlikely. Um, or, or actually, a very real scenario is that he come to Old Trafford, win and become Premier League champions. <laughs> Like Arsenal. <laughs> they, they'll be singing about how they won it at Old Trafford for the rest of time. So for the sake of fun, I went through all the fixtures for the remainder of the season and just guessed them all. I mean, it's obviously ridiculous uh, because how do you know what's going to happen in, in four weeks' time? But I did it and uh, um, I was surprised. I wasn't really thinking about the the context of the, the table with each game, um, just picking some results. And, and I have Leicester winning it by only a point. Interesting. But I wonder whether that's the kind of unconscious bias of underestimating Leicester. Yeah, might might well be, yeah. Um, but they've also got some really tricky games. I mean, they do play us, but they also play West Ham and Chelsea on the final day of the season at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, there's every chance they won't need anything by that game, isn't there? So, And then also, this is assuming that Tottenham can sustain pressure or that somehow Arsenal overtake Tottenham and they sustain pressure. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and there's every chance that that's not going to happen. I mean, I think the fact that Tottenham drew with Liverpool at Anfield is is not really a disgrace, is it? As as a result, but performance wise, they they looked like they were kind of suffering from that international break where so many of their players had starred. Um, they they just didn't look quite at it. So so. You know, twists and turns left in this one, as the old cliche goes. Yes, including for United. Um, so the the victory over Everton um, keeps United in touch with City, um, and obviously West Ham drew, so they've dropped points. But um, it's going to be super close. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll come on to more discussion of that when we talk about Tottenham in a minute. Um, at Tantan MUFC says, can Daily Blint be a part of our next title-winning eleven? And if so, in what role? I, I was thinking about this, watching him and watching Carrick in that game, and thinking you you could see Blint take on the kind of proto Carrick role in the next in the next winning eleven. But you just think maybe actually Schneiderlin and Herrera is a a better combination for the kind of first eleven. Yeah. So I mean. Look, he just had an excellent game against uh, a decent team and a very good forward, um, uh, faultless. But every combination I think of in a Manchester United Premier League winning quality side doesn't have Daily Blint in it. Um, I think his best position is left back and Luke Shaw is ahead of him. I don't think he's of the world-class stature at centre-back. And in central midfield, in that defensive role, players run past him all the time, unless he's going to improve there in a way he's obviously improved over the season at centre-back. So I, I'm not sure. He's a very useful man to have around. He certainly wouldn't be on my list of players to try and flog this summer, and there are quite a few of those. But I'm not sure he's the best player in any of the positions. And, and I think that's probably... I think I probably agree with that, even though I think I like him as a player maybe more than you do but i think that's i think that's the case i think he's unbelievably useful to have around because he's he's a squad player but like you know the the kind of john o'shea comparison gets made but i think he's a a much better backup in the positions he can play than john o'shea ever was uh, you don't get this sort of substantial dip in quality with playing blin either at left back or at center back or in centre midfield. I think you're right that he's short of an absolutely elite world-class player in any of those positions, but he's not so far below them that he dramatically negatively affects the team if you play him rather than the theoretical world-class central defender that should be replacing him there. Wow, a, a one-minute monologue absolutely dissing John O'Shea. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Just hate mail addressed to... <laughs> Yeah, Paul at unitedrand.co.uk. Adam Joseph Sport, friend of the site, says, would he'd like to know who both of us realistically think are the players we would say are outs this summer? Who needs to go for United to move forward? So, I, I mean, I did a list of 10, not necessarily saying that, that all 10 have to be sold, but, um, you know, if, if I was picking a selection of 10 players um, to sell... Um, 
that will be them. So I'll put them on a website. But some of them are obvious. I think Valencia has no place in the squad, really. McNair probably has to go to get football. Um, maybe a change of manager would change that. I'm not sure. There's a couple of youth teamers like Will Keane will need to move on. Um, and then the big ones are, are Fellaini and Rooney um, and probably Marcus Rocco. Uh, did you mention Phil Jones there? And Phil Jones, yeah. I mean, I, only in that... Um, that one's a, a difficult one in a way because he's he's more talented than some of the others uh, that I'd, you'd put on the list. But he's just yeah, five years; he hasn't progressed, and he's always injured. So there's there's really little value in retaining him. Although he only just signed a new contract, of course, so it's going to be quite hard to get rid of him. I looked up the uh, data because at the end of last season, thinking right, what Phil Jones really needs this season is not to miss too much through injury. And he's missed like three times as much this season as he did last season. And last season felt like a really injury-ravaged season. So, yeah, I just I just don't know how you can keep gambling on Jones. No, I mean, absolutely. And then there's, there's some others like um, Nick Powell, who should go, I think. Michael Carrick not been offered a new contract yet. Would we keep him? I mean, is he worth a squad place, the experience and the quality on the ball? as opposed to the fact that his legs are clearly going and rapidly. Um, and then there's the question around Ashley Young. He's a player who does nothing if you just look at the data. No chance he's created, no assists, barely any goals. Um, I, I, I try to work it out. Uh, it's something like one point something million pounds per goal he's been involved in in some way in the Premier League. You know, it's it just doesn't look good. But quite often United have looked a better team with him in there just because he's you know he's he's tactically sound so do you do you keep him for that reason even though the quality is a bit lower yeah i yeah that's a very good question i think the michael carrick the, the ashley young question is inherently kind of less interesting than the michael carrick one because michael carrick's been a star player for united for such a long time right he has plenty of detractors but his status in the squad has been one of the best players and i think that's kind of emblematic of something that's a bit of a problem but I think the temptation to play him is too great if you have him as a squad player. And I think, I could be wrong, He could it, this could be a dip in form and he's had quite a few injuries this season, so maybe that's just taking a toll and full good pre-season he'll pick up some form again. But to me, it looks like it's time to call it a day. His, his contract hasn't been extended. I looked it up, it was March the 20th that it was extended last season, so it's already a few weeks later than that into this season. Um, and watching his performance against Everton, there's absolutely no way on earth we should renew his contract because you say his quality on the ball, but his legs going is really affecting his quality on the ball. Like he's making even more conservative decisions with his passing than he used to. Right, yeah. Um, Of course, a lot of this talk really depends on the other side of the equation, doesn't it? Who United bring in because uh, one of the, the key factors in the, you know, the poor squad uh, overhaul that we've had over the last sort of two, three years is is the, the quality of players brought in hasn't been good enough. Very few successes. Uh, do mm. we believe that Ed Woodward will do the job? Well, absolutely not. I mean, there's no reason, we have no reason to believe that Ed Woodward will do the job. I mean, like the talk about Ibrahimovic coming is a really interesting one. Obviously, it's just talk. In a way, it'd be fun to have Ibrahimovic around. But on the flip side of that is that's not at all sustainable, is it? That's incredible short-termism. And, and you know, maybe that's just paper talk, so it's unfair to tarnish Woodward with that brush. But, you know, it wouldn't be that surprising, would it, if you know Look, I'm quite sure that Woodward would be interested. Of course he would be, because uh, he's a, you know, a, a, Ibrahimovic is a, a massive global icon. What a player to have on the, on the marketing material. Um, would it be worth the half a million pound a week contract that he wants, apparently? For a couple of years. At sad underscore Ryu says, why ask questions when the answer is always Tony Martial? That's a, that's a good and fair point. And the final question of the week, at Captain's at C Armband, our friend Chris says, if you were to marry at the centre circle of Old Trafford, who would you rather conduct the ceremony, Fergie or Van Gaal? Ah, well, Fergie, after a few wines, is uh, engaging company, so... 
Um, give, give him a bottle of vino, you know, find Bordeaux, and, and uh, that'd be fun. Uh, Van Hal has got the better jokes. Yeah, this, this is potentially true. That is actually a much more difficult question than you think. I mean, obviously, you think Fergie because of the legacy, right? It's Fergie. But Van Gaal is just a lot of fun in the right setting. He's more likely to give you a fist bump, but I've still got to go with Fergie. No, I go with Fergie and Van Hal can give the best man speech. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, I gave you a best man speech, Ed. Are you saying you want to replace me with Van Gaal? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Do you play it left back or right back? <laughs> uh, I said that was the last question, but I've got to squeeze this one in because at Lucas underscore M-U-T-D says, uh, would you answer my rank cast question if I said I watched Paul's house? Yes. Absolutely. So long as you actually did watch Paul's house, which youngster will surely make the grade at United? I mean, there's so many to choose from. I think it. I think there is every chance that Cameron Borthwick-Jackson, Timothy Fosumenser, and Marcus Rashford have all got an excellent chance of making it. Yeah, I, I do think all of them do. I mean, um, for different reasons. I mean, Rashford, we've seen already that he can perform at this level. Uh, it's how he kicks on from here and whether he can score enough goals to justify the increasing expectations that will be on him and once uh, opposition players learn a bit more about him can he keep improving his game Uh, Borthwick Jackson extremely composed can he um, can he not make a few of those mistakes that he's made at the back um, and improve his game defensively. And Fossu Mensa is partly about where, where he's going to play because he's played absolutely everywhere. Uh, he's got base of pace physically, uh, you know, great athlete, um, very composed on the ball, could play, I suppose, in midfield. Not necessarily where I'd think about him playing, but uh, yeah, definitely got a great chance. Um, and, and the one in the under-21s who I'd really pick out, and this is like, it's uh, a kind of no-brainer really, is Roshan Williams. Um, and uh, I think he's got a fine chance too. And it would be quite remarkable and definitely something to thank Van Gaal for if this happens, you know, if if more than one of them make make the grade at the same time because it really has been a very long time since that happened. We've had loads of Brankcast questions about the future of Van Gaal and whether you'd think about, I'm not picking anyone out because loads of people asked it, but like whether you'd think about keeping him for another season because, no, th- this is exactly what I was going to say. No, it's a total no-brainer. Um, you know, w- why on earth would you keep him? You're going to get exactly the same thing as you've had for the last two seasons, which is going to be extremely frustrating, uh, very limiting. Um, uh, do we trust him and all the management to bring in the right players and develop them in the right way? Um, do we understand what his plan is? No. And, and add on top of that that we know it would be his last season, therefore he's a lame duck manager just doesn't you know and and that's going to have a um you know have two effects one on the the playing squad you know not not thinking about the long term and uh, not worrying about whether they're positioned safe or not so it clearly has an effect on players um did under fergie is having an effect on pellegrini's squad right at the moment and the other is players signing for united this summer when they know the manager's only got a year left so no absolutely no way i'd keep him um, the only way you'd keep him is if there were zero options out there or the only op- option out there was like John Carver or Alan Shearer or something. <laughs> yes, uh, I basically agree with all that. The one thing that a few people have pointed out is that in a way the people, the team is actually finally starting to learn how to play Van Gaal football. But I think the real indictment on that is that it's still rubbish, even when we're winning. You know, they are definitely playing the system more effectively. They definitely know more about where they should be standing, for example, than they have done previously. But they still aren't executing at a high level. And I just don't see there being the stability needed to bring that through. And I will definitely be sad to see Van Gaal go on it on a sort of personal level and in a really having wanted it to go well for him. But I won't be sad at all to see him go from a football point of view because it's been so boring this season and like people say if Mourinho comes in we'll play dull football but it's not going to be the same kind of dull is it yeah I mean the the whole bunch of um, management theorists will tell you that that um, yeah, this company management theorists, not football management theorists, will say it's ten percent strategy and ninety percent execution, right? So, um, for all the uh, the brilliant tactical mind that Van Hal apparently has that we've not really seen, the execution has been very poor. Um, so, yeah, it's been a failure for two years. Really, doesn't matter how United do over the next six 
games, uh, even if they sneaked into the Champions League, even if they made third, like Van Gaal claims uh, that they're going for, uh, it's still been a failure for the last two years. So for me, there's there's zero zero justification for keeping him on in, in any form. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, okay, so uh, talking of how we do over the next six games... First one of those is at White Hart Lane on Sunday. Uh, that's going to be a tricky one, isn't it, Ed? Even trickier if uh, Wayne Rooney is back. Sorry, sorry. Just, just had to say it. The thing is, that's true though. That this is that is the thing that it is actually slightly bad news that Rooney's back. Even if you love Rooney, he does not come back from injury well. No, he really doesn't. He, and we have multiple examples of this. So um, if he comes back next week, we'll see. He says he might be available. Um, does he get the special privileges and uh, the, the Fellaini privileges, should we call it, <laughs> and go straight back into the team or does he have to play an under-21 game? That's absolutely amazing. There's a, a strata of players, a special treatment reserved for Mario and Fellaini. Um, a smattering of booze for his name being read out on the bench before the Everton game. Maybe they were coming from the Everton fans now that I think about it, actually. That, that makes me feel a bit better. Didn't think it was very nice if United fans were booing. You shouldn't have done that, Paul. Really. <laughs> I was saying Maruan. Very good. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure that was from the Everton fans. <laughs> yeah, let's hope so anyway. The fact that the Spurs didn't look very good against Liverpool is kind of irrelevant. They've got a week off, haven't they? And uh, United's task is a, is a tricky one. Harry Kane in absolutely scintillating form again. Uh, very clearly proven that last season wasn't some kind of fluke and he just looks at an absolutely electrifying prospect doesn't it I mean it's kind of hard to talk about him in those terms because he looks so much like a 1920 superhero but he's an incredible talent yeah and then he opens his mouth and it's uh, he's a 1920s superhero on helium <laughs> well quite yes uh, with a cockney accent so um yeah he's in great form and given that he started the season quite slowly actually Kane did yep. um and uh, he's just had a brilliant last uh, four or five months or so um not everything comes off for him but he's we talked about bravery on the ball a couple of weeks ago didn't we he's so brave on the ball because he wants it all the time uh, he takes real responsibility and he's just great with the ball at his feet as we've um, seen in some of his recent goals. So explosive performances recently. It's not just him, though. There's lots and lots of movement around him at Spurs. So um, And that's why they they are, are probably going to be the... It's, it's between them and City, right? Who's going to score the most goals in the Premier League this season? But they're going to be close to it and it's because they have a very, very effective attacking unit. But of course, you know, Kane will be in Blint's pocket. Right. I mean, he was when they played uh, back in August. I was Harry Kane was man marking Daily Blint in that game. He was the first of the superstar strikers to try and take Blint on, but uh, many have tried, few have succeeded. It's the bang average strikers that have done well against him. But yeah, uh, I, I mean, actually, I think Blint's quite a good match because he's so smart. Um, but the problem is that even if you keep Kane relatively quiet, it'll just blast one in from a ridiculous position. Yeah, and, and Spurs just move the ball well, really well as well, and they create space for him. So, so what what do you make of Deli Ali? Then Fergie says best young midfielder in this country since Paul Gascoigne. Very high praise, obviously. So that uh, may or may not be true. I think he's an excellent, a really excellent player. Um, he's. You know, it, it's uh, it's interesting. He he probably would fit very well at Old Trafford. Uh, he's not the kind of player that actually United have had very often in central midfield down the years. If you think about it, someone who's willing to carry the ball. Um, he's not exactly a, a you know sort of prototype Gascoigne player, is he? He's not going to dribble past five players, but he, he carries the ball really well with loads of pace. Uh, very creative. Not a classic number ten by any means. Kind of a mod, more a modern ten. Um, and uh, can play in any sort of attacking position. Just looks like a very, very good player. Yeah, absolutely. Although I don't, it, the goal that he scored, where you know the goal where he flicked it up and span round and hit it into the bottom corner. Mm-hmm. Everyone went absolutely wild for that goal, and I'm very fond of Deli Ali, but I can't back that for goal of the season just because of how poorly it compares to when James Rodriguez did the same thing in the World Cup, but blasted it into the top corner, thus making the whole thing look more ecstatic. And and that's a very important quality, I think, in a goal of the season. It has to look good as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll come to that in our our um, 
end of season wrap up show, aren't we? Where we yeah, it's coming soon. Yeah, I'll have to do some uh, thinking about that one. There've been some crackers recently, uh, especially from Harry Kane. Absolutely beautiful turn and goal for England the other night and uh, a couple of weeks ago, stunning strike against Arsenal. Yeah, that was another mad thing about that England game. Sorry to bring it up again, but the quality of the goals, like the Jamie Vardy goal as well. I mean, Jamie Vardy equals bad, obviously, but what a goal. Yeah, he's got some stunners as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we don't have to worry about him on Sunday, but we can give him a massive boost by putting one over on Tottenham. I don't think it is in any way reasonable to be particularly confident about United's chances, but if there's anywhere we've done well, it's against uh, the the teams competing uh, for glory. We've been all right generally against them. Yeah, I mean, not great away from home, generally speaking, this year. United don't don't score very many goals. Um, we don't we don't score very many goals at home either, of course. No, this is, this is true. Uh, Spurs do score goals. Um, interesting. It's going to be an interesting matchup. You know, uh, obviously United will be playing quite conservative. They'll be trying to retain the ball, trying to control the game, as Chris Smalling said um, the other day, or well, after the game against Everton. Um, Spurs, though, just it, it's just the uh, the amount of attacking variety they've got. I mean, it depends on the exact. Uh, makeup, but you expect Kane and Eriksson and Ali and Dembele to play. Uh, Dyer will sort of anchor the midfield, and and then Chadley and Song Hyung Min, you know, kind of trade roles, don't they? Um, that's a lot of attacking firepower. You know, yeah, we can't absolutely. just say lads, it's Spurs, unfortunately anymore. I haven't won a no. White Hart Lane for four years either. And lads, it's not Spurs anymore. I think Maurizio Pochettino is very, very unSpursy, isn't he? So uh, you have a choice between Pochettino and Mourinho for next United manager. Go. I don't know. I um, I, th- I don't know whether I've said this on the podcast or not. I've definitely said it places. But I do worry that Pochettino is a bit flavour of the month. This is his best season ever, right? Absolutely. And he's won nothing yet. Yeah. He's done well places he's been, but he's also done really badly places he's been. It's He's got a very David Moyes-esque CV, hasn't he? <laughs> I guess he's moved around a bit and he's sort of, there's a slightly more upward trajectory in terms of club stature than Moyes. Moyes stayed such a long time at Everton and I don't know if that should count against him. But anyway, I I, I find it just impossible to advocate for Mourinho but I do think it's what's going to happen. And although it's kind of interesting, I ran this Twitter poll, more than a thousand people voted in, in it. And it was really evenly spit between people who believe he's coming and people who don't believe that he's coming, which I just thought was interesting in terms of the absolute certainty with which certain reputable European journalists are talking about it. Like it's presented as an absolute fait accompli, but that ha- clearly hasn't permeated through down to people's mindsets because I still quite find it quite hard to believe it's happening. Yeah, um, but uh, but it does seem to be, doesn't mm, it? Yeah. Um, a lot of people are putting their reputations on the line by saying it's a, it's a done deal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I think the, the other thing I think about this is a lot of people are saying we shouldn't appoint Mourinho just because City have appointed Guardiola if it's not what we were going to do anyway. And I have some sympathy for that point of view, because it is important to plan. But the, the other thing is Guardiola coming in at City does change the landscape, right? Well, it does. and But I think the, the, the crucial point here is Moyes, Van Gaal, Mourinho, where's the pattern? Right, there is none. There's there's no plan on the football side of things from United. And, and because you've got a guy in Edward Wood who used to be the commercial director, now the CEO, who is also the de facto director of football, you know, job shares with Jorge Mendes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you laugh, but you know, basically, um, and uh, and and so there's just no structure to the sporting side of of United. You know, the academy has been a mess, um, and uh, with a lot, you know, a lot of very low morale, and and now we've got ahead of the academy. That's going to help. There's a clear direction there. Need a clear direction in the first team as well. United would benefit hugely from. Um, um, bringing in an, an experienced director of football. There's talk of it with Andrea Berta. I, I, you know, I don't know much about this guy other than he's a Mendes client as well. And and uh, I'm guessing that Mourinho signed off on that. That will help, though, right? It's a, you know a, a plan and a structure um, and a clear direction of travel. This is what City have had for better or worse, um, and I think probably for better. 
Um, and it means that if you're going to be in this pattern of firing coaches every two or three years, you can do it knowing that you, you, you kind of have a, a framework within which you're going to hire the next coach. But it's not a panacea. No. Because there's lo- lots of clubs with plan and structure where it just doesn't work. And, and there's lots of clubs... Sure, because the coach can still fail. Yeah, well, so can the director of football, right? You can, And so can the director of football, yeah. And, and the director of football can interfere too much or too little. or You know, the, the City thing is kind of... Like, City are held up as a model of sensible planning in the last 10 years. But... It's not working very well, is it? Because Guardiola's going to inherit a massive mess. You know, there's 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 a real deficit of quality in a number of places. Well, there is, but if 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 you gave Guardiola that squad, he wins this league, right? Okay, surely, uh, surely, maybe, maybe, yeah. yes, okay, yes, definitely, definitely. I mean, I mean, Pellegrini probably wins this league if they hadn't sacked him halfway <laughs> yeah. through the season. Uh, this is a completely ridiculous. Uh, side point but uh, Rob Pollard friend of the show writes uh, about Manchester City for the Manchester Evening News and there was a below the cot line comment which called Manuel Pellegrini Mugwell Pellegrini and it is legitimately the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life I just can't stop picturing the person absolutely incandescent with rage typing Mugwell Pellegrini <laughs> into his uh, Manchester Evening News account yeah very good yeah I, I like that for its uh, visceral childishness. Exactly, exactly. That is the perfect description. It's visceral, but he still he manages to use incredibly childlike terms to do it. You see, that's exactly what I was going for when I set up Rant, and then I went all intellectual. <laughs> now I do like 1,500-word think pieces. How's the traffic compared to when you were just unleashing your id? Well, what, what do you think? <laughs> Well, fortunately, the traffic on this podcast is still good, so people apparently want to keep listening. So thank you so much for that. We really, really appreciate it. It is fun to talk to you, Ed, each week, but it's even more fun to think that people want to listen to what we've got to say, so that's lovely. All the usual places you can get us if you want us. Massive thanks to Tom, who you can find on Twitter, at Teach Sound. Seriously, we have a, a wide listenership. If any of you need any sound work doing... Definitely, definitely hit up Tom because the man really knows what he's doing. He makes us sound pretty okay. Miracle. uh, Yeah, exactly. Uh, No auto-tune inside. (laughs) You should hear his real work. It's it's outstanding. Um, So, yeah, uh, um, we'll do this again some point after that Tottenham game, shall we? Reach out. So, uh, final word, what do you think the score will be United versus Tottenham? Uh, I hate doing it, but Tottenham 2, Manchester United 1. I'm going to go with that as well. Tottenham 2, United 1. Shame, hate to do it, um, but there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So we'll see you next week. See you then.